Andrew Womack Ministries presents this message titled, A New Creature. We pray that the Word of God will come alive in your heart as you listen. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, it says, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things, old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Now, that's a scripture that I learned when I was a little kid because I was brought up Baptist. They're real strong on all of that. But, you know, I didn't really understand what it was saying. I didn't really get the significance out of it. But what he's teaching is that when we become in Christ Jesus, that's talking about being saved, being born again, when we experience that, and we experience a born-again person, a new spirit coming on the inside of us, the Bible says that we are not the same old person that we used to be, that we are a brand new creature. Amen? Now, Jesus himself taught on this over in the Gospels, and Jesus said that you can't take new wine and put them into an old bottle or the bottles will bust. You understand what he's talking about? If you get new wine and put it into an old wineskin, the old wineskin is already stretched as far as it's going to go. And when the wine starts fermenting and the gas starts getting off of it, well, it'll burst those bottles. He also said you can't put a new patch on an old garment because when you wash it, the new patch will shrink and it'll tear the old garment because it's already shrunk. He's simply saying, he's saying that in a parable, that you can't put a new life that God gives us onto an old life. They're incompatible. And if you try and put them together, it won't work. Well, this scripture says that when we become in Christ Jesus, we're a new creature. And if we're a new creature, the same principle holds true, and that is that we can't put a new life that we've received through Jesus into the same old lifestyle and expect it to work. And that basically, now that's an oversimplification, but basically that is the problem that we've all had in Christianity. And that is that we are a brand new creature, but we don't know who we are, and we don't know how that new creature operates. And most of us have gone on without renewing our mind, without thinking different, without getting, without retraining ourselves, and we try and live the new Christian life in the old lifestyle, and it just doesn't work that way. It cannot work that way. We spend time educating this mind. Did you know a little kid, you train them, if they don't go to school, you make them go to school, right? You make sure that that physical mind is going to get trained, and whether they like it or not. But in the spiritual realm, what have we done? I've had a bunch of parents say, well, I want my kids to come to church or to enjoy reading the Bible or something like that, but they just don't want to do it, and you can't make them. Well, you make them go to school, and they don't want to do it, don't you? You get that physical mind educated whether they want it or not, yet in spiritual matters we've let it slide. And what I'm saying is that we receive a new spirit, but we don't ever counter the old teachings of the old man. We don't ever counter all of the values that we've been taught, but we've got to. We've got to begin to look at ourselves as a brand new creature that I'm not the same person. Amen? And I think I've knocked this before, but I'll hit it one more time. And that is that song that says, Lord, I'm only human. I'm just a man. Y'all ever sing that? It's a real catchy tune, but it's just as unscriptural and deadly as can be. It's not scriptural because, you see, that's what, that's what the problem is. People look at themselves and say, well, I'm only human. I'm just a man. I'm just a sinner saved by grace. But we aren't just a sinner saved by grace. I was a sinner. I got saved by grace, and now I've become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Amen? I'm a new creature. I am not the same old man. I am not only human. 
And you, if you are in Christ Jesus tonight, you need to begin to look at yourself that way and recognize that you are no longer left the same person as you were before. Basically, the attitude that I had before God got, in, got me into the Word and began to renew my mind was that I was the exact same person as I was before I got saved. The only difference was I had my sins forgiven. If I die, I'd go to heaven. And that's basically what I looked at my Christian life as. But I still had the same conception of myself. I was still discouraged. I was still beat down. I was still expecting to go through the same things. And so were you. <laughs> until the Lord opened up your eyes. I can remember when the first time the thought came to me that God would heal us. I couldn't hardly believe it. And I'd been a Christian for 10 years. And yet I couldn't hardly believe that God had healed us. Why? Because I'd expected to go on just exactly the way I did before I got saved. I thought that all my salvation did was just guarantee me a ticket to heaven. But this scripture, that's what he's saying if we would get it out of there, that you are not the same person. And when you get in Christ Jesus, you are a brand new creature. You aren't even the same. You're a totally different person. If you'd look at things that way, I guarantee you it would be different in your life. I heard a man, Charles Caps. he was given an example this last week when we heard him. He was given an example about this church that he ministered in. Or no, it was Happy Caldwell's the guy that gave this example. And he was talking about these, these kids that were brought up in the Word and they got saved and somebody came over to their house to visit them and they walked in and when they did they began to talk about how they were sick. And this little kid had been taught that salvation included healing and deliverance and everything. He was taught it the right way. And when this person came in and said something about being sick, he just looked at them like, well, aren't you saved? <laughs> like, he couldn't imagine. He thought if you were sick, you weren't saved or something like that because he knew that, that healing was a part of his inheritance. But you see, that person to them, that was a total shock. Like, well, sure, I'm saved, but I'm sick. But you see, the reason that that boy thought that way is because he had his mind renewed. He knew that when you got saved, you were delivered from sickness. You don't have to have it. These other people, they didn't look at it that way. They looked at salvation as something less than what it was. But basically what God is doing with us tonight is getting us back to salvation. He's just bringing us back to the grassroots and showing you that salvation is a total and complete salvation. It's not just a forgiveness in principle of sins, but he has delivered us from this present evil world. Amen? Look in Galatians chapter 1, verse 4 at this scripture. Now this is really strong. Galatians is right after 2 Corinthians. Galatians chapter 1, verse 4. It's talking about salvation. It says, speaking of the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins, that he might deliver us from this present evil world according to the will of God and our Father. Now he said that the reason Jesus gave himself for our sins was for what? Amen. From this present evil world, not the one to come. Now, that's going to be a benefit, praise God, for heaven. I'm not minimizing it. But Jesus gave himself for our sins to produce liberty and victory in this life right here. Praise God. Well, that ought to turn somebody on. Amen? <laughs> that we have been delivered from this present evil world. He gave himself for us right now. And that's the will of God. Salvation takes place right now. We have been delivered from oppression, from discouragement, from de despair, from financial problems, from sicknesses, from diseases, from strife, from envy, from jealousy. 
All of those things are a part of our salvation. It's a total and complete salvation over everything. We ought to be living in a utopia, much more than what Adam and Eve were. Amen? That's true. People say, wouldn't it be nice to be Adam and Eve? We got something greater than what Adam and Eve had. Adam and Eve only had control over this physical realm. They weren't, didn't have any control over the demons or anything like that. They didn't have authority in heaven. We've now got authority over demons. We've got authority in heaven with the Lord Jesus Christ, according to Ephesians chapter 1, verse 17 through the end of the chapter. That's been given to us. Now, some of you are looking at me like, well, now, wait a minute. If we've got all of this, and if I'm redeemed from it, and if I'm saved, if all of these things are so, how come... I'm not experiencing it. I don't understand what you're saying. Let's go back to the example of forgiveness of sins. You have been forgiven of all sins. You have been freed from sins. It says it in those exact words in Romans chapter 6, about four times in the book of Romans chapter 6. It says that we have been freed from sin, that we are dead unto sin. How shall we that are dead unto sin live any longer therein? It says in verse 14, Romans 6, 14, that sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under the law but under grace. Now that's what the Word says, but does that mean that you won't ever sin again? It means that you've been freed from it. It no longer has any legal hold or dominion over you, but you can go sin if you want to. Don Crow, those of you that were here when he ministered, gave a good example of that, like... You could be in the service and your commander tell you to go out and clean the latrines and swab the deck and do all of these kind of things. You would have to do it because he's your master. But if you get, um, what do you call it, separate, discharged from the service, the next day that same master, that same commander could come up and tell you to go clean the deck and clean the latrines and do all this and you could turn around and tell him I won't do it. He's still the same person. You're still the same person, but the difference is you are discharged. You're no longer under that dominion. You're free from it. Now, that doesn't mean that you didn't. You could go clean the deck if you wanted to, but you're free from it. You don't have to do it. That's the way we are with sin. We've been delivered from sin. It doesn't mean that you are delivered from the temptation or the possibility of sin. It means that sin will not have dominion over you. It cannot have the dominion over you. You have to willfully yield to it. It's the same thing with all of these others. You never again have to be depressed. You never again have to be discouraged. You never again have to be sick. You never have to be financially poor. We have been delivered from these things. It's part of our salvation. But that doesn't mean that it automatically comes to pass. If you don't renew your mind to who you are, well, then you're going to go right back into the same rut and submit to those same old things even though we have been set free from them. Right? That's true. That's real true. I know that I've seen people that they sit there and when flu season comes around, they prepare themselves for it. They brace themselves for it and go to releasing their faith that they're going to get the flu. Start talking to people, have you got the flu yet? Like, no doubt you're going to get it. Have you got it yet? And they start preparing themselves for it. Now, they may be saved. They may be freed from the dominion of the flu. But if they go to talking about it and saying, oh, I know I'm going to get the flu. I was with this person and I was eating with them, drank out of the same cup, and they came down with the flu the next day. I know I'm going to get it. Well, it doesn't matter whether they've been redeemed from it or not. They're going to get what they say. Can you see what I'm saying? We have been delivered from these things, but we've got to recognize that deliverance and learn to stand against it. We've got to renew our mind. 
And the key to all of this is learning who you are in Christ Jesus. Not in yourself, but in Christ Jesus. Because now this, now y'all grab hold of this and it'll really change your life if you'll get what we're saying. When you got saved, the part of you that got saved was your spirit. Right here in your belly. Out of your belly shall flow rivers of living water. Right here is the part of you that's saved. This physical body is not saved. Your soulish mind is not saved. It's going to be saved. It's already been purchased. But it is not redeemed. Amen? It's been paid for. The blood has been shed for a total redemption. Spirit, soul, and body. But the only part of it that is complete and the only part of you that is actually saved tonight, delivered out of the kingdom of the devil, is your spirit. It is the part that's brand new, that's created in righteousness and true holiness. Our physical body wasn't changed. If you're fat before you got saved, you're fat after you get saved, right? Salvation doesn't change your body. <laughs> If you're slow before you got saved, you're slow after you get saved unless you begin to release your faith like what Eldon's saying and believe God to quicken your mind and your memory and things like that. Your body and your mind are not the part that got saved. It's our spirit. So our salvation is right here in our spirit. But for the spirit to have control over your body and release the power that's located in your spirit, you've got to renew your mind and renew your body. Is everybody following me? You can have the total power of God living right here in your spirit and never experience any of it if you don't begin to change your thinking and change your actions. Now, God set it up like this, that right here is my spirit. This was the life-giving part of me. The spirit is what gives life to your body. I don't know if you all knew that or not. Lots of times we live like our body is what keeps everything else going. Boy, we're going to satisfy the lust of this body. If we get hungry, I got this one friend that if he gets hungry, he gets the shakes. He just can't do anything. He'll pass out. And it's not physical. It's just nothing but his body has control over that man. He has to eat at 12 o'clock or he's had it. You might as well put him to bed. He can't do a thing. <laughs> he can't fast or can't do anything else. Well, his body's the one that's calling the shot. Satan's leading him around by the nose. All he's got to do is hit him in the body or something, and he'll respond to it. A lot of us are the same way. If you get tired, well, I can't go to church. I'm tired. Huh. That's not right, is it? Is that what you said before you came tonight? <laughs> the correct attitude to have is if you understood where your life comes from, your life comes out of your spirit. And if you'll get your spirit fed and edified, it'll quicken your body. I came into this service tonight. We've been traveling. We traveled 12 hours yesterday, and I've been working going. When I woke up this morning, it felt like I'd been working all night long. I didn't feel like I'd got a thing done. And I wanted to lay down and go to sleep because I knew we'd be late tonight getting in, and I wasn't able to. I had to make radio programs and do other things. And I was tired. But I guarantee you, I can't feel any tiredness now because my spirit's working. And the Bible says, Romans chapter 8, verse 11, that if the same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwell in you, he shall quicken your mortal body by that Spirit that dwells in you. The life comes from the Spirit. And if you'll get your Spirit fed, it'll sustain your body. And I could prove it. I could give you testimony after testimony after testimony. I've been working and preaching with some, some guys that work hard. This Kenneth Day works on a... Um, 
gas truck and he's a hard worker. He's worked hard all of his life, works at least 10 hours a day. And here I am, I duplicate tapes all day and study and pray and get in the Word and do things like that. I work a little bit for myself, but I shouldn't be in near as good a physical shape as he is. But I can work circles around him. I hope he doesn't listen to this tape. <laughs> I don't mean that he's puny or anything, but I'm simply saying that I can keep up with him. I gave you all the example of carrying that calf. I was able to carry the calf more than he was. I carried it about, oh, I don't know, at least four or five times as far as Kenneth did. And he's supposed to be in better shape. But what the deal is, I've been standing on that scripture out of, I think it's 1 Timothy or 2 Timothy chapter 3 where it says bodily exercise profiteth little, but godliness is profitable unto all things. And that scripture is simply saying that exercise will profit you. It's not to no avail. It'll profit you some. But if you'll exercise yourself to godliness, it'll not only work in the spiritual realm, but it'll take care of your physical body. It's profitable unto all things. And did you know, boy, I'm in good health and I can keep up with those guys and I can keep going because the Spirit is quickening me. I can still keep up with a lot of people that I shouldn't be able to if you were looking at things naturally. But God's Spirit quickens my mortal body. And sometimes we put in a good 18, 19, 20-hour day, lots of days, and I just keep going. And I'm not going to be one of those that sits there and my body breaks down or anything like that because God's Spirit will quicken me as long as I'm doing what He tells me to. I'm not telling you to sow to the flesh, but I'm saying when God tells you to do something, if you'll do it, God's Spirit will quicken you. If we would recognize that our life is coming from the Spirit, we'd quit letting this body lead us around and dominate us, and we'd begin to break this body down and make it do what I want to do. I testified to you about that car I got, and I like that car, but that car is for my benefit. I'm not here for its benefit. Y'all get what I'm saying? That car is there to serve me. And some people would try and preserve a new car take care, so good care of it or something like that that you never use the thing. You sit there and pamper it and don't use it. Well, I'm going to use it. Amen? We're going to use it. And that's kind of the attitude, see, we have about our body. We try and take such care of this and pamper it and do this that we forget that this body, all it is, is a vehicle for my spirit to get around in. If my spirit isn't dominating and having control, it doesn't matter how I pamper this body or how it responds, I'm not doing what I'm supposed to. I'm a spiritual being. I'm a spiritual creation. And this physical body is just my vehicle that I use to get around in, and I am going to make it submit to what the Spirit is supposed to be doing. Amen? My life comes from the Spirit. Anyway, I forgot exactly. Oh, I got off on that by saying that that's the way that God ordained it to be, was that the Spirit controlled the mind, and then the mind has complete control over the body. You can't go from the Spirit straight to control the body without the mind. Everybody understand what I'm saying? There's a system. God's system was that we worship Him in spirit and in truth. We get our instruction, our life from God. Then we teach our mind. Our mind controls our body. Amen? Everybody understand what I'm saying? Now that was the system that God ordained. The reason man committed sin was because he saw something with his eyes, he saw the fruit, he lusted after it, his physical body had a craving for that fruit. And then the mind said, well, that would be nice to be like God. And they disobeyed the leadership of the Spirit. He knew what was true in his spirit, but he rebelled and put the lust of the flesh and the pride of life 
above what the Spirit was saying. When he did, that's when sin entered the world. If man had submitted only to what his Spirit was saying and leading him to do, there never would have been such a thing as sin. That is basically how things got in such a mess. And that's the reason they continue to be in a mess is because man is led around by his lust and by his thinking. And this is where our problem is. Satan is coming at us in our thinking. You're educated in the world system until the time you become a Christian. And then even after you become a Christian, most religion is still teaching you nothing but the world system and educating you in demonic stuff. And they're teaching your carnal mind up here. And it's hindering the spirit. Y'all see what I'm saying? As long as you are led by your carnal reasoning, your thinking up here, never, never under any circumstance will you be able to attain unto the spiritual life that God intended for you to have. Because it does not proceed from your mind, from your body, from your own physical abilities. It comes only through the Spirit. It's the Spirit that quickens. Romans, I mean, excuse me, John chapter 6, verse 63. It is the Spirit, the flesh profiteth nothing. Excuse me. How's that go? Let's look at that. John chapter 6, verse 63. I'm right there close to it, saying it right. John chapter 6, verse 63. It says, It is the Spirit that quickeneth. The word quickeneth means gives life. The flesh profiteth nothing. The words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. So right there it says that it's our spirit that quickens, that makes alive. You do not receive life through your mind or through your body. It comes through our spirit. I'm talking about God's life. There's a physical, carnal type of life, what people say, you know, they get out there and live for the devil and they say, man, this is really living, isn't it? Well, that's not really living. That's an old carnal imitation of it. You let those people that are sitting there getting drunk say, this is really living. Listen to what they got to say the next morning when they're fighting a hangover. It's not really living, is it? It's a deception. I'm not talking about that, but God's life, the life that God intended for every person in here to be living, it comes only through the Spirit. That's the reason that we ought not to be dominated by anything else. That's the reason our seminaries, cemeteries, whatever you want to call them, that's the reason that they have not produced the answer is because some of them have even taught the truth. Some of them even teach the Word of God, but they teach it to a physical mind. You've got to get your grade on it. You've got to write down the right answer and get your grade for it. And they educate a man's mind. And it doesn't matter, even if it's the truth of the Word of God, if it is only in your mind and not in your heart, it cannot produce life. It's got to get in your spirit. And then it becomes alive. Then it becomes a force that will create life. There's some of you in here right here tonight that say, well, I've heard what you're saying before. I know that the Lord heals and I know that there's victory and there's power and you sit here and acknowledge it with your head and you're living in defeat. There's a big difference in knowing something intellectually and sitting there mouthing it and knowing it in your heart, having it get down in you and come out of your spirit. That's where life comes from. Amen? That's where our life comes from. But you need to understand the order. Our spirit's what gives the command. Now, this is God's order. For the spirit to give the command, the mind to respond, and the mind to make the body react to it. <coughs> but, now here's the problem. When you get saved, you get a new spirit. And this spirit within you is life. And it's releasing the power of God. It's got all of the power of God within it. Your spirit is not incomplete. It is perfect. It has the same power within it that indwelt the Lord Jesus Christ.
Tonight I have the same power living right here in my spirit that indwelt the body of the Lord Jesus. Amen. Now some people, you may not be able to swallow that. If you aren't, ask me and I'll give you a tape about it after this thing's over. We've ministered on that already, but that's the truth. That in my spirit, I have the same power and ability that Jesus had because I've received the spirit of Christ. Romans chapter 8 verse 9 says so. Many other scriptures. So right here is the power of God, but the problem is my mind isn't changed. My body isn't changed. It's still the same old mind that was taught the ways of the devil. My body is still the same old body that was trained to respond in carnal ways and to operate in the lust of the flesh. So even though I've got the life of God living on the inside of me, if I don't begin to change my thinking and change my actions, the life of God will never control this body. Y'all see that? The Bible says to be renewed in the spirit of your mind. It also says in Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, it says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your body a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world. That's talking about with your mind. Don't think the way the world thinks, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Do you all see that? That scripture says the way you're going to be transformed or changed into the likeness of God is how? By the renewing of your mind. That word transformed is the same word that's used for transfigured over in the gospel. When Jesus was transfigured, he became a different person. He began to radiate light. It's the same word. Well, the way that we're transformed or transfigured is by the renewing of our mind. I've got the Spirit of God, but what good is that going to do me if I don't begin to realize it and think the way that the Spirit's saying instead of think the way that I was taught all my life? Now, let me give you an example of what I'm talking about. You have been taught to operate in fear. That's probably Satan's strongest weapon against anybody. Our whole society is based on fear. And you may not recognize it, but it is. Like, say, for instance, people that have a fear of flying or a fear of heights, or something like that. We've been taught that things like that are natural, but they aren't natural. Second Corinthians, Second Timothy chapter 1, verse 7 says, God did not give us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. A person that has a fear of flying, why do they have a fear of flying? It's because they're afraid the thing may go down and they may die. It actually goes back to a fear of death. Why would you have a fear of death? It's because your spirit has not been teaching you it's because the carnal person, the carnal realm has been the one that's instructed you. If you really knew your right standing with God and what happened to you at death, who would be afraid of death? Man, we've been reading testimonies about people raised from the dead and things they've been seeing and it makes you want to go. It really does. I'm ready to go. I don't have a fear of death because I understand it. i got a right relationship with it. All it is is a promotion. Amen? I'm just getting promoted to glory if I was to die before the Lord comes back. That's the way to look at it. But a person that has a fear of heights, a fear of flying, a fear of all of those other things, it basically boils down to the fact they have a fear of death and it's because they were taught by the old man to be afraid of those things. We teach our kids. We instill fear in our kids. Jamie and I have really had to change our things because we see that there's things that we've been afraid of that Joshua isn't afraid of. And our normal reaction is to teach him, boy, you better be afraid of that. But we teach him no. We teach him not to be afraid of things that we've been afraid of. 
Y'all see, that fear has to be instilled within people. Y'all see what I'm saying? It was placed there. And then after you get saved, even though you've changed masters, you'll still operate the way your old master taught you to operate until you change it. Everybody understand that? It's like a computer. I think I've used this example, that you can program a computer to do something. And you can put information into that computer, push a button, and it'll do what it's programmed to do. That's the way that we are. We have been programmed by the world to accept certain things. We've been programmed to accept defeat and to accept discouragement and to accept sickness, right? Everybody understand the illustration I'm using? Like you've been taught to ex accept sickness, to accept pain. Like say, for instance, if you hit your thumb with a hammer, we've all been taught to expect that thing to hurt, right? And you all look at me like, well, sure it's going to hurt. What do you mean? <laughs> Well, it doesn't have to. I've hit, I hit this finger right here with the hammer, made the thing black and blue, and knocked the fingernail off of it and prayed over it, and that thing didn't hurt. Stuck it down in my nail pouch, did everything I could to show the devil I didn't believe, and that thing hurt. And I superseded the laws of this body with faith, and that thing never did hurt. It was black and blue, and I lost my nail, but it never once hurt. You don't have to accept things like that. The Bible says that we can pray, Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. How's God's will being done in heaven? Well, the Bible shows us in Revelation that there will be no more sorrow, no more crying, no more tears, for the former things are passed away. That means that you can say that I'm not going to have any sorrow here on this earth, I'm not going to have crying, even though the power of God lives on the inside of you. Can you see what I'm saying through that? So it's important that we begin to change our mind. And even though it may be flu season, and even though you may have been out in the rain, in the cold weather, big deal, all that have to do with me getting the cold. Nobody knows where a cold... You know, that's one of the most foolish things I've ever heard. My mother's always talking about, oh, make sure that the kids are all bundled up and don't let them get wet and don't let them get cold. Well, I don't do that intentionally, but if they get wet or if they get cold, am I going to sit there and say, oh, no, they're going to get a cold? A doctor doesn't know where a cold comes from. That's not caused by getting out in the wet weather and junk like that. It's caused by the devil, amen. Amen. <laughs> But if you go to releasing your faith, every time you get in a little adverse circumstance, you're going to get it. People are always saying, oh, you can't get a baby out before it's two or three weeks old. Boy, our babies were traveling and have been through the state lines by the time they was three weeks old, amen. We just went everywhere. We carried them out. Some people say, oh, you can't do that. Well, they're just as immune things as I am through the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, amen. amen. But if you don't ever renew your mind, if you look at it that way, you won't accept it. My wife had painless childbirth. We believe God for a painless childbirth, which supersedes all natural laws. She even fell asleep with Joshua, and the doctor had to wake her up when Joshua was born. Say, here's your boy. <laughs> now, that violates every natural law that there is, but it happened because we believe God. I prayed in tongues over her, and that pain left her, and she got to where there wasn't any pain. Now, that's available to everybody. If there's a woman here that's had a baby with pain, I'm not putting you down. That's not to disgrace anybody, but I'm saying that that is available to every born-again woman that has ever lived, according to 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15. It says that if they continue in faith and charity and holiness with sobriety, that she shall be saved in childbearing. And that saved is not talking about forgiven of her sin. It means kept sound. In other words, you're redeemed from the curse that was placed upon woman in the first place that you would bring forth children with, uh, what was it? Multiply your sorrow in your conception. 
That's a part of our redemption. If you didn't receive it, that's not to put you down, but the reason for it is is because we have been taught with our mind to expect the worst. And because of it, we're getting exactly what we expect. Did you know that a hundred years ago it was unheard of to go to a hospital to have a baby? And now, if you were not to have your baby in a hospital with the exception of having it in the car on the way there, people would martyr you nearly. Like, how dare you try and bring a kid into the world without bringing them to the hospital or something like that. Don and Wendy Crow had their baby at home, and boy, they went through it with the in-laws and with everybody else. Like, you're a murderer. You're taking a chance with your child's life by not going to a hospital. A year ago, I never, I mean, a hundred years ago, that was unheard of. But you see how man's mind had been programmed to now? People would literally be afraid that they were going to lose a baby just because they didn't go to a hospital. Now, a hospital may help in some cases, but ha there were sure a lot of babies living a hundred years ago. That's how we all got here, amen? <coughs> and it's been blown out of proportion. But if you were to take most people, they would be fearful. They would be afraid, scared to death to have a baby outside of a hospital because our mind's been changed on that kind of stuff, and we've accepted it. We, you've watched things like Gone with the Wind and seen... Uh, <laughs> how a woman brings forth a baby and sorrow and travail and stuff, and they've taken that as being accepted. We've taken some of these natural childbirth courses, and did you know what they're doing now with the natural childbirth courses? They're teaching women that that stuff that they accepted was just a lie, that you don't, even in the carnal, they're telling them that you do not have to have pain in childbirth. I read an article in a national magazine that said that uh, about 50 years ago, is when the idea came forth about women having pain, they began to get fearful, and this doctor was saying that 99% of the pain in childbirth is nothing but fear and terror and tension. And what these natural childbirth courses teach a woman to do is to breathe. And that breathing relaxes her body and relaxes the muscles so that she doesn't tense up and feel that pain. And did you know it works in the carnal? We know people that don't even know the Lord that have gone through that without pain. Because 99.9% .9 of that pain that is experienced is mental. Or it's because you get tensed up and tight and things like that, and that's what causes it. Y'all see what I'm saying through that? That's how much control the mind has and what we've been taught. Well, now, in Satan's realm, we've been taught to operate in defeat. And we've been taught that certain things are absolute. But now that you're a new creature, old things have passed away, all things become new, you get rid of all that kind of stuff and you begin to go by what this says. The world says it's impossible for you to be healed of cancer, but you can't find that in God's Word. Amen. God's Word says by His stripes we were healed. Amen. 3 John verse 2 says He wishes above all things that we may prosper and be in health. It says that He heals all of our diseases. Psalms 103 verse 3. Now, that's what God's Word says. And if we would begin to renew our mind, and the world has taught you cancer's incurable. Heart attack, you're fixing to die. Rheumatoid arthritis is incurable. That's what the world says. If you would tear that down and say, I don't believe that. I, it is my spirit that gives me life, and my spirit says that he heals all of our diseases. Amen? If you would begin to renew your mind with the Word of God, it'd get to where when you got your mind into subjection to what the Spirit said, the body would instantly receive the benefit of it. But you see, here, here's a problem. A lot of Christians have the power of God living right here on the inside of them. They want healing or something like that. And they say, Lord, heal me. I ask you to heal me. And they try and believe, but what, what is their mind doing? 
the whole time they're meditating on the fact that the doctor says it's incurable I'm going to die they're acting sickness they are thinking exactly the way the world has taught them to operate and don't be deceived even though you have the power of God right here in your spirit what you have dominated your mind with is what you're going to get y'all see that and if you have an unrenewed mind, if you're sitting here with fear rising up on the inside of you, if you have not countered all of that unbelief and junk that we've heard since the time we were born, it doesn't matter what you have on the inside, it cannot take the ascendancy over this body until your mind gets in gear with it. Amen? doesn't mean you have to understand it, but your mind does have to submit your body to it. For instance, speaking in tongues. Your mind doesn't understand what you're saying when you're speaking in tongues, but your mind does have to give approval. This has been one of the problems with a lot of people speaking in tongues because they think that, boy, it's just going to come flowing out of them and they won't be able to stop it. You'll just be compelled to do it. Nothing you can do. It'll just take possession of you. That's not true. 1 Corinthians chapter 14 says that the spirits of the prophets are subject to the prophets. In other words, this spirit within me will never make me do anything. God is a gentleman. He does not make you do things. It's the devil. When you get demon-possessed is when you're made to do things. God doesn't make you. God will let you go to hell if you want to. Even after you get saved, God will let you be defeated if you refuse to renew your mind. He never forces you to do anything. A lot of people come up and ask me, you know, pray, say, oh, let the Lord make me a fisher of man. Let the Lord just make me into a great servant of the Lord. God's not going to make you do anything. He's provided you and equipped you, but you have to take the armor and put it on yourself. You have to get into it yourself. Amen? And so even when you're speaking in tongues, God does not force you to speak in tongues. With your mind, you have to open up your mouth and allow the Holy Ghost to start speaking words that you don't understand. You don't understand it, but you do have to submit your mind and your body to it or it won't work. God will not force a person to speak in tongues. It's the same thing with our healing and deliverance. That if we have been taught in Satan's realm even though the power of God is there, even though God wants to meet your need, we've got to renew our mind to what God says so that we think and dominate ourselves with what God has to say. Amen? And it has to have complete ascendancy over it. Complete ascendancy over it. For us to experience this victory that we're talking about tonight. And we didn't get hardly very far on what I was wanting to talk about. We got off on something else. But the way that we... Basically, I'll sum up what I was trying to say, that the way you get this power released and the way you renew your mind is that you were taught that you were unworthy, that you were undone, that you were no good, that you were all of those things. When I, in your physical person, your physical body, you may not be anything special. But in your spirit, you are a born-again person. In your spirit, Ephesians 4.24 says you were created in righteousness and true holiness. And in your spirit, you have the same spirit indwelling you that indwelt the Lord Jesus Christ. And in your spirit, you are somebody. Greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. Amen? That's what the Word of God says. It says in 1 John 4, 17 that as He is, speaking of Jesus, so are we. That's talking about our spirit in this world. 
And so we've got to renew our thinking. You've been set, you have taught yourself to experience second best. One of the big problems with the church is they don't expect much. They have the attitude of, well, I'll soon be through with troubles and sorrows. Have you all ever heard that song? I forgot exactly how that goes. I've renewed my mind too much. Amen. But they sing these songs about troubles and sorrows and hold the fort. I remember that's one we used to sing. Hold the fort for I'm coming. And what they're teaching is that, boy, you're going to be in a battle. Just hang on to what you got. When you reach the end of your rope, tie a knot and hang on. The Lord will come. Well, that's a sorry attitude. That's the way that we've been taught to be in the world. But God said in Matthew chapter 16 that we are the church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against us. The Lord said the attitude we're supposed to have is not to sit here and just try and hold on to what we got. You go out and start beating down the gates of hell, amen. Run right to the gates of hell and start banging on the door. Satan, I'm against you, amen. That's the attitude we're supposed to be having, a winner's attitude. And you can't do that if you're sitting here and going to the Lord. I used to do this and say, Oh, Lord, I'm so unworthy and I'm, I'm messed up and I'm no good and I don't deserve a thing from you and I'm undone and oh, forgive me of all this. Well, the Lord knew that. That's why he saved me, amen. And when I got saved, I'm no longer undone and I'm no longer unworthy and I'm no longer un, uh, no good. In my spirit, I'm the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. 2 Corinthians 5.21, that's what I was headed towards. In my spirit, I'm a new creature. I'm not talking about it in my body. I may still make mistakes. But did you know that this is one of the things that's the good news of the gospel? That I don't go to God and say, in the name of Andy Womack, because I'm such a good person, I ask you to do this. No, I never have prayed in the name of Andy Womack. I pray in the name of Jesus. What I'm doing, I'm saying, when I say in the name of Jesus, I'm saying, Lord, I know that in me there's nothing that deserves anything, so I'm asking you because of Jesus, because of who he is, because of my new man. And my new man is created in righteousness and true holiness with God. Jesus himself said God is a spirit, and those that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. That's in John, the fourth chapter. So you've got to worship God in your spirit, not in your flesh. Your spirit's perfect, right? So who cares whether you're undone, whether you're unworthy, whether you're all of these things out in your physical body? That's not the part that you're supposed to be worshiping God in anyway. You aren't supposed to be coming because of who you are in your flesh. You're supposed to be coming of who you are in your spirit. Amen? And come boldly before Him because of that. And you need to get this attitude. When you start believing God for a healing or something, most of you will immediately begin to start checking yourself out. And saying, boy, have I been studying enough? Have I been praying enough? Have I witnessed to this person? Have I done this? Have I done that? You know what you're doing? You're expecting to get your prayer answered according to who you are. And that's the reason it doesn't work. That's by works is another way to put that. But you don't get things from God because of who you are. You get them because of who Jesus is and who he made you. Amen? Amen. So we could just get rid of that and we could come to the Lord and say, sure, Lord, I've blown it. But praise God, I'm the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Amen? Amen. You can do that. That's our privilege. You need to look at yourself as a new person. I got an example of this that I may have given, but I'm going to give it again, amen, because it fits real good. It's one of my favorite stories. But this is an example of this dog I had named Honey. Did I tell that to everybody here already? Amen. Phyllis hadn't heard it, so I'm going to tell it to everybody again. <laughs> 
But I had this dog that I got from my mother when I left to go to Vietnam to be a watchdog for her, and it was three-quarters shepherd, German shepherd, and one-fourth chow. And it was supposed to be a mean dog. Boy, I got that thing to be a watchdog. Well, as it turned out when it was a puppy, the guy who had it used to beat the thing with a trace chain. And it was cowed and beat down. And if you were in the front yard, it had come lunging, and it was a huge dog, and it had hit that fence, and the whole fence had swayed, you know, and it had scared people. But if that person had ever opened up the gate, boy, it would have nearly killed itself trying to get out of the way and get away from it. And every time that dog came to me, it would run, and it would stop about from here to Bobby and roll over on its side and begin to whimper and whine and scoot up towards me like I was fixing to beat it. I never did beat that dog. I spanked it and corrected it, but I never beat it. But it's, you know, it was associating me with that person before that used to beat it with the trace chain. And that went on for four or five years. And finally, one day, I, was, I walked outside, sat down on our back porch, and that dog came running up to me, just bounding across the yard and stopped about that far and rolled over and began to whine and scoot up to me. And it just got next to me, you know. And I got up and got to yelling at that dog and yelled, Honey, you know, and I... <clears throat> I was mad at her. I said, why don't you just come to me like a normal dog sometime? You act like I'm fixing to beat you. Says, I've never treated you that way, you know. And I was reading this dog to write, eh? <laughs> and the Lord reminded me. He said, Andy, he said, that's exactly the way I feel about you. He said, why do you come to me beat down? Why, when you pray, do you always have to sit here and say, I'm so unworthy and I don't deserve anything from you? He said, that's the way you were before. But he said, I changed you. You're a new person. And you see, that's the problem with this dog. That old master that the dog had, yeah, they used to be with Trace Chain, but I wasn't like that. I loved that dog. I didn't care what it did. I was, I was my good friend. We had some good times together. And you see, that's the way that I am. I used to be separated from God. I used to be all of those things, but I'm a new person. And God just flat, I'm sure if he could get sick and tired of anything, he would get sick and tired of us coming to him and moaning and groaning and all the time apologizing and beating ourselves down. Because he's not dealing with you over what you are not. He is dealing with the part of you that got saved. If you want to look at it objectively, there aren't any of us that are good enough to fellowship with God even on the smallest level in your own works. None of you are. That's the reason he had to save us and that's the reason he had to take away the dead part that was within us and put a new part within us. He gave you a new spirit that was capable of fellowshipping with him because there isn't any of us that could fellowship with him in our own ability or our own power. So he doesn't want you to come to him and offer who you are in your physical body or in your mind. He wants you to come in the new part that he created in spirit and in truth. And what we were getting at tonight, and I didn't ever get it very well established, but we'll get on another time, is that in your spirit you are a new creature. Old things have passed away, all things become new, and in your spirit you're perfect, and, in your, and you're holy. And you're capable of standing in God and receiving anything that God's got for you. Not because of who you are in your physical person, but because who Jesus Christ made you on the inside. If you all can get a hold of what we've talked about tonight, I promise you, I guarantee it with everything I can say, that it will transform your life if you'll begin to see that you are the righteousness of God. If you really get hold of that, Instead of facing sickness and saying, oh no, here's cancer, and looking at cancer as being a huge giant, and here I am, little old weak me, I can't even believe in this or believe in that. That's the reason we get defeated. 
If you would look at it like cancer, you sniveling rat, I'm the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Don't you know who I am? Man, if you went at it with that attitude like cancer, you've had it. You shouldn't have touched me. I'm the apple of God's eye. You made a mistake. If you look at it that way, I guarantee you, your faith would begin to work and you'd just go up there and spit in the eye of the devil and tell cancer to get out of your way and be cast into the sea and go on. Amen. Amen. That's true. But the reason things like that have dominion over us is because we look at them as being greater than us. But bless the Lord, in Christ Jesus tonight, you are greater than anything that can come your way. If God be for us, who can be against us? Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. That's what the Scripture has to say about it. There is no condemnation to me tonight because I am in Christ Jesus. I walk not after the flesh. I'm not expecting anything from God according to who I am, but I walk after the Spirit. I'm expecting to receive from God through the Spirit tonight. And you can do the same thing. That is our inheritance. And there's one last scripture that will sum all of this up. Philemon, verse 6. He's praying a prayer, and he told Philemon, he said, I pray that the communication of your faith may become effectual by the acknowledging of every good thing which is in you in Christ Jesus. Do you all see God's order of how to release your faith? He said that the communication of your faith will become effectual by the acknowledging of every good thing which is in you in Christ Jesus. Religion has taught us to go around and to be what they call being humble. Go around saying, oh, I'm just no good and y'all pray for me. Oh, I just pray that I can hold out to the end. And they, people think that that's humility. And they think that that's the way to really be spiritual and to release the power of God. God said in Philemon verse 6 that the way your faith's going to become effectual is by the acknowledging of every good thing within you. In other words, the way your faith is really going to begin to produce is by sitting here and saying, I recognize that in Christ Jesus I'm greater than all that sickness, than all that disease, than all that discouragement. I acknowledge that I have been delivered from the kingdom of the devil and translated into the kingdom of God's dear Son, according to Colossians 1.13. Amen? That's the way your faith is going to become effectual, is by seeing who you are in Christ Jesus, not by meditating on who you aren't. And that is the only way that most religion has ever dominated or inspired anybody. They tell you, you're so sorry and undone. You haven't witnessed anybody this week. You ought to get out and tell somebody about Jesus, you sorry old rat. And you get them so beat down and discouraged with who they are that if they do go out and force themselves to tell somebody about Jesus, what do they present? An old beat down, discouraged, holes in your in your bottom of your shoe, your pants wore out, you aren't able to believe God for anything, you're discouraged and beat down and you go out and tell everybody, oh, you ought to be a Christian. It's such a great life. <laughs> they look at you and say, man, if that's Christianity, I don't want it. <laughs> but the way it's supposed to be, if you'll get people to see who they are in Christ Jesus, if, you ever, if it ever dawns on you that you are the limousine that God is walking around in this earth in, that you're his special container and all you're going to do is walk up to somebody and overflow on them, amen? If you ever get to seeing who you are and if you ever get to seeing that you have on the inside of you power to raise the dead, to heal the sick, cleanse the leper, that you have power to go up and speak to a person and see them delivered from things, to see joy come in them, you have power to go up and touch a person to see instantly healings. If you see who you are and if it ever becomes a reality to you, nobody will ever have to force you to go out and witness you will be so excited to know that, man, you have the power of God that the things around you can be, something can be done with it. 
that those are the kind of people, man, that you've got to slow them down. I know when this happened to me, when I saw who I was in Christ Jesus, did you know I'd started a special youth night visitation? I'd started all of these special things, and we were going out and making four or five visits every Tuesday night and supposedly seeing some people accept the Lord. But did you know I was forcing myself to do it out of condemnation because I was told I had to do it, and I'd go up to the door, and most of the time I'd just be tied up in knots, and I'd be praying, Oh, Lord, I hope there is nobody home. <laughs> Or if they were home, I was going to go in and just put in a word for the church, sign a card, something, say that I made so many visits and let it go at that. Let's don't get any further. That's the attitude I had. But did you know that right after I saw who I was in Christ Jesus, that it changed from daylight to dark? And all of a sudden, I was out making at least 100 visits a day. I couldn't go to school. I quit sleeping. We quit eating. I went, I'd go a whole day sometimes not even eat and not realize that I'd gone without food. All I could eat, drink, or sleep was going to tell somebody that I found it. I thought everybody was just going to wake up with me and receive everything. took a while to get, to, to get deflated. But I thought that, man, everybody was going to understand what I found. And when I really knew who I was, I just couldn't contain it. I spilled over on everybody. I started witnessing in my classes. I start. I witnessed to everybody everything that had moved because I saw who I was. I saw Jesus living on the inside of me, and boy, it changed my life. It motivated me. It really did. And that's how God's wanting to motivate you tonight. Is not by you sitting here and thinking, oh, I'm not worthy, and I'm not this and not that. Well, God knows that, and you know that, and everybody else knows that. Amen? Amen. Everybody knows your limitations as well or better than you do. <laughs> what you need to realize isn't who you aren't, but who you are. And what Jesus has done in your life, that will change you. That will transform your life. And I guarantee you, boy, your faith will begin to be effectual. You'll see miracles happen. But you're going to have to renew your mind. You've been taught that you were incapable of believing for miracles. All of us have been taught to mock them, to make fun of it, to say that's foolish. And you're going to have to change your thinking to where it is normal. I'm believing for the dead to be raised every day, amen? Some people might think, oh, now, wait a minute. Well, that's because you're thinking carnally. God's Word gave me a command in Matthew chapter 10, verse 10. And he said, as you go, preach saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out devils. Freely you receive, freely give. It said in the same sentence as it told you to preach the gospel and to tell them that the kingdom of heaven is at hand, in the same sentence it said, heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead. It's just as much a command for me to heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead as it is to preach the gospel. So because of it, I'm renewing my mind and I'm expecting to see people raised from the dead. Amen. To see the lepers cleansed, the sick healed, the devils cast out, just as much as I am expecting to get opportunities to preach the gospel. Because that's the way God looks at it. I'm renewing myself. Amen. We're expecting many, many, many miracles. And if you'll begin to think that way, boy, your impression of God will get big. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Praise Jesus. And we could go on and on. Man, I'd like to go on and on. That turns me on. That's what changed my life. Boy, I'd like to just open up your head and pour it in there, but it doesn't get that way, amen? But I 
I challenge you with everything within me to begin to seek out the scriptures about what happened to you when you got saved. What's your spiritual man like on the inside? And if you'll do it and let it become a reality, I guarantee you it will transform your life. I promise you. Praise Jesus. I did a study once on every great man of the Bible, and did you know that before God used them, he taught them exactly what we're talking about tonight? When God called Moses, what was Moses' reaction? The second and the third chapter of Exodus. Moses argued with him and used every excuse in the book. Lord, I'm not eloquent of speech, neither before or after you spoke to me. And finally the Lord got mad and said, I made your mouth, I can make it talk. <laughs> and finally he just kept arguing and arguing. You know what his problem was? He was seeing himself. He was seeing, who am I to go down and fight the mightiest nation on the face of the earth? If somebody was to tell you to go down and see the President of the United States and tell him that he had better get in line and do what God told him to do, what would be your first reaction? He'd be saying, well, I'm just Henry Dearly. He'd say, Henry Dearly who? Who am I to go talk? See, immediately your attention would be focused on yourself. That's what happened with Moses. But by the time the Lord got through touching him, Moses' attention was focused on God. And he didn't go down there as Moses. He went down there as the servant of God the man of God. He went down there seeing who God was and that had to happen before he could be used. If he had gone down there as Moses, he'd have had the same results it had 40 years earlier when he tried to deliver the people and he got run out of the country. The same thing happened to Jeremiah. The Lord told him, he said, Jeremiah, before you were born, I sanctified you and ordained you to be a prophet unto the nations. Jeremiah chapter 1 verse 5, Jeremiah said, Oh Lord God, I'm a child, I cannot speak. And the Lord rebuked him and he says, Say not, I am a child, for I will be with you and I will teach you what you shall say and you will speak unto these nations. And again, the Lord showed Jeremiah who he was. Isaiah, the same thing happened to him in the sixth chapter of Isaiah, the scripture song we sang tonight. Before Isaiah was really used of the Lord, he saw the Lord high and lifted up and his train filling the temple. Until he saw who God was, he wasn't effective because he was sitting here limiting God by his own inadequacies. But tonight, if you can get your eyes off yourself and begin to see who God is, and more important, who God on the inside of you is, then you'll be able to go forth in his power and his strength and praise God, nothing will be impossible unto it. We hope that your heart has been quickened by hearing the word of God through this message. Remember, Andrew Womack Ministries operates a helpline that you can call for prayer and information at 719-635-1111. We have a ministry website at www.awmi.net, and you can write the ministry at P.O. Box 3333, Colorado Springs, 80934. Until next time, we pray that you will reach out by faith and receive everything that is yours through God's grace.